Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. What if you knew that the promise of something greater, something that would surpass all of your expectations, existed? Would you dare believe it? What would you sacrifice for it? We're in a series titled Sand and Stars, a look into the life of Abraham and living a life of great faith. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. So good to see you. Got friends. That's awesome. Glad somebody likes it. Nobody yelled my name all morning. I'll give extra attention right here. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Hey, if you're a guest, so glad to have you worshiping with us today. I want to highlight what you just heard about the announcements there. First of all, if you're new to Grace Life right after this service, just go across the hall. Free lunch, free child care. Great opportunity for you to find out if this is the church for you. We're going to talk about who we are, what we believe, what we do, why we do it, and any other great question that you come up with while you're there. So hopefully get to see many of you. And, uh, you know, here's the funny thing. Every time we do this, there's somebody there who's been here for like a year or longer. And it's always funny. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just now coming. It's okay. It's totally good. And so for those of you that have been around Grace Life for a long time and you haven't made it the first step and you're thinking you'd be the only person that has taken that long to come, I assure you, you won't be the only one. So come on out guilt-free we got food for you too. It'll be a lot of fun. There you go. All right. Hey, that second announcement about praying for some people that have not been reached. You may find this um, just, it's just crazy to think about this in our world with social media and where we live and a church on every corner. But there are people, matter of fact, there are entire people groups that have never heard of who Jesus is or what he's done for them. Isn't that amazing? And, and so there's this term that we use from there called unreached, unengaged. It means, first of all, they've never been reached. They don't know about what Jesus has done for them, but they also are unengaged, meaning nobody is there working with them. And of course, most of the, the people that are left on planet earth to be told, the reason they haven't been told is because they're very difficult places to go and very difficult groups of people to get into. And so we partnered last year, about the middle of last year, with some local believers in that part of the world, people who can speak the language and can travel there, because you and I simply could not go there. And so they agreed they would go and commit their lives to to telling everyone about Jesus, and they just asked us to help make that possible largely through prayer. And so what we began doing halfway through last year is we asked everybody to take one day, just one day, if you would take one day a week and pray for not only the people we're trying to reach, but pray for those who have agreed to go. I think we've got the better end of the deal by far. So as you're leaving today, there are tables set up right out in the lobby where you can have an opportunity to pick a day, sign up, and just ask God to do an amazing thing among those people. Now, here's, here's your cool update. So in the second half of last year, these two people groups that we're trying to reach represent about 1 million people. And out of those people so far, 4,522 people gave their lives to Jesus in that last part of 2018. That's worth celebrating, right? Yeah. And look, when they say that they're following Jesus, it's serious because it could cost them everything. So, you know, those numbers are real numbers. Those are, are not just kind of rounded up to somebody who's sort of thinking about Jesus. That's very, very serious. So, hey, uh, we're in part two of a series we're doing called Sand and Stars. We started it last week. And if you wonder, what, what, sand and stars, what is that all about? Well, the, the central character in our story for these next few weeks is a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was just living a happy, normal little life on earth. And then God came to him and said something. And so here's kind of where we are in this story. Adam and Eve, back at the beginning, they messed everything up. 
And so 19 generations later, we've got this guy named Abraham, only 19 generations later. And because Adam and Eve had messed everything up, they were sent out of the garden. Humanity kept getting more and more evil. And so at some point, God said, we've got to rid the earth of this evil. Maybe you've heard of the story of Noah and his boat. And so Noah's probably the only name that you know in those 19 generations. And then since Noah, the human race carried on through him, we get to this point, we've got Abraham. Now, here's the problem. Nobody knows who God is. Nobody knows anything about God. The Bible hasn't been written yet. There's, there's just no way. And, and so God decides this is the point in human history. It's about 4,000 years ago for you and I, that this is the point in human history where he's going to begin to reveal himself to his creation once again. And so he says, look, here's the way we're going to do this. I'm going to have a people on the earth. They're going to be my people. I will be their God. And because of this special relationship, they will be the people that make me known throughout all of the earth. And through them, all of the families of the earth will be blessed for all of human history. It's that's his plan. And so it's got to start with a guy. So he shows up to this guy named Abraham. Now, truthfully, he's not Abraham yet. God's going to change his name to Abraham later. So as we're reading the story today, his name is Abram and his wife who will later become Sarah, her name is Sarai. So as we're reading the story, these are not new people or different people. This is Abraham and Sarah before their names are changed. Okay. So everybody following where we are. And so here's Abraham. All of a sudden he's just living his life. He's just as happy as can be or as miserable as can be. To be honest, we don't know. Nothing is told about what his life is like before God shows up. But we know at 75 years old with his wife, wife being barren, God shows up and says, I'm going to make you a father of the multitudes. I'm going to make you a father of the nations. And so here's what he tells him. He says, if you can count the sand and you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. So that's why we're calling this series Sand and Stars. And last week we opened up the series talking about this. God has a good plan for your life. How many of you believe that? That was incredibly weak. I preached that I thought a little bit better last week. I thought that there'd be a little more resounding belief. God has a good plan for your life. And uh, yeah, there you go. Not just a plan, but a good plan. If you missed that, really want to encourage you to go get that either on the app or online because it's going to undergird the entire series, believing God put you here for a reason. He's doing something through you. You are not just an accident. You're not just a biological result, but you are created by your Father in heaven, and there's a purpose to your life. Now, that's the good news, isn't it? Now, how many of you know that believing God has a good plan for your life and seeing it fulfilled, those are two dramatically different things, aren't they? Because when you discover that God has a plan for your life, you're also going to figure out it comes with testing because God's going to let you figure out where you stand and what's in your heart. So you're going to go through some tests. You're going to have some challenges because that's the way this fallen, broken world works. And then you're also just going to have some flat out opposition. See, this is very, very simple. If you decide that you are going to go after what God has for you and what God intends for you, the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you. Because the last thing the enemy wants for you is the first thing God wants for you. So if you're standing here and God comes and says, I've got something for you, you say, okay, I believe it. I'm going to take hold of that. And you take a step into God's purpose for you, the enemy is going to come at you with everything he's got to try and knock you backwards. So it's going to come with some opposition. Just think about this. How many of you ever thought that you were doing what God wanted for you? 
How many of you ever thought you were at least doing the right thing and, and that would be good with God, right? I'm gonna take it one step further. How many of you absolutely knew without beyond the shadow of any doubt, you were doing exactly what God had told you to do and yet nothing went right? Come on, anybody got that story? Anybody knows that? When I, I was graduating college, I had just finished with my music degree and I'd actually kind of started getting good near the end of college, which of course would be the goal, right? That, that's kind of what they'd want you to do. And so I had the opportunity to continue right on to graduate school, go to a conservatory, continue being this nerdy concert piano player, which people would ignore, whatever, anyway. And, and so, but God had spoken to me to move to Romania. You heard a little bit of this story last week. And, and so I, I said, yes, I will go. And, and so I quit the idea of pursuing music and, and went and kind of got back on the course that I'd always known I was supposed to be on anyway. If you remember, I actually only went to get a music degree because I knew I was called to ministry, but I had somehow taken a few steps off the path, which will make sense as we talk today. And, and so at this point, I feel like God's told me to get back to, to what he's called me to do, to, to speaking for him and to preaching the gospel. So I agree to move to Romania. And uh, as I'm leaving, I'm talking to the pastor of my church and, and he's saying, oh, don't you worry. You won't have any problem. We'll take good care of you. We'll make sure you have support, everything. I get there and still to this day, to this day, I've never received one penny of support from the church that sent me there. Needless to say, without money, it's very hard to live in Europe. Most people think 22-year-olds in Europe are not preaching the gospel. They're on a vacation. So it didn't take long before I found myself having to come back home and actually get like a day job. Now, two problems. Number one is I got married right before I came home. And if you were here a few weeks back, we just did a marriage series. So you already know exactly how that played out, right? Yeah, there you go. And then the second problem is that I find myself in America teaching band to middle school students. I never intended to teach band in my life. I got a music degree just so that I could go on to seminary. I, that was just, and now suddenly I'm doing a job I never thought I would do to, uh, I need to be careful how I say this, but to not necessarily the easiest age group <laughs> to work with. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I think eighth graders should be taught by like drill sergeants and sheriff's deputies. I taught all of middle school and all of high school. Sixth graders, sweetest little kids you've ever met. Seventh graders, they're kind of like not at all, you know, because the sixth graders are new, the eighth graders are mean, and so they just kind of hide, okay? When you get to high school, they all actually know there's a permanent record. This is going to matter. The eighth grade year is no man's land. Hormones, no permanent record. They think they're the king of the hill. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so... I am suddenly teaching eighth grade and, and, and I'm married to someone who is like, just, oh my gosh, go back and hear the marriage series if you need to hear that. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I married my translator for our Christian organization. I married a Christian, life's supposed to be good. Don't you know when you marry somebody you met in church, you're just gonna talk about Jesus and never fight? And I'm going, seriously, God, I did everything you said to do the way I thought you said to do it and nothing is working out. We're gonna look at what happened in Abraham's life today and talk about what do you do when you step out to follow God and nothing goes the way you want. Your life is filled with disillusionment, disappointment, unmet expectations, and you just don't know which way is up. So here we are in our story. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. It's Genesis chapter 12. We're gonna pick up right where we left off last week. 
And so this is going to be in verse 10. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen right here beside us. But let me real quickly catch you up if you're new here today or new to the story and, and give you a little bit of the backstory. So when Abraham was 75, God came to him and said, this is what I'm going to do through you. Just said all that a minute ago. And he says, I want you to move. I want you to go to a piece of land and it's going to be the land that I'm going to give you and all your people. And, and it's modern day Israel at the time. It was known as Canaan. And so God says, I want you to leave where you are, which was, he was north of that in, in an area called Mesopotamia. And so he begins traveling south to go and see the land that God has for him. And here's what's really cool. Abraham did something amazing. It wasn't enough for him to just get there and go, yeah, God, that looks pretty good over there. But he actually explored the land. So when he got to the land, this is great. And he continued traveling south to see more of it. He set up camp and, and he built an altar. He worshiped God and he made a marker in his life to say, God, look what you're doing. This is amazing. You've done something amazing. And then he packed up again. He kept traveling again. He went further into the southern region and he built another altar and he set up camp again. And he said, God, this is amazing. I, I can't believe what you're doing. And he worshiped God and he made another marker for something God had done in his life. And then he continued traveling all the way to the southernmost border of that land. That's where we left off. Now, here we are in verse 10. Abraham has done everything that God told him to do. And here's the opening sentence of his story today. Now, there was a famine in the land. Seriously, God? Didn't you tell me to come? Wait a minute. Like, aren't you in charge of some things like the weather that like makes no rain and then therefore no food? And aren't you the one that told me to come here? I'm doing what you said. And now suddenly all of my animals, my herds, all of my servants, everybody, you're like, we need food. We need water. I'm doing what you told me to do. And suddenly everything is broken. Nothing is working. Are you serious? Come on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like what Abraham is experiencing. When we step out to follow God, we just have expectations. I think Abraham had the same expectation. God said to do it, so I'm going to do it. It'll be easy. Everything will work out just fine. After all, God said to do it, and he's in charge. But do you remember what we said earlier? If you step out to do what God has for you, it's going to come with some testing, probably some challenges, and definitely some opposition. And the problem is we, we just rarely are ready for those to come. It's just not something we actually are prepared for mentally. So what do you do when you step out to follow God and all you get is disappointment? My wife and I moved to Columbia 15 years ago to be a part of a team to help start a church. Actually, we weren't the only ones. One other family moved with us and they're sitting right here. And you, you say, oh, well, we've heard the story of how Grace Life started. No, 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 this wasn't Grace Life. You see, matter of fact, we didn't even tend to stay in Columbia very long. It was a friend of ours who was a pastor, and he had a vision to start a church here in Columbia, and I wanted to learn how you started a church. And so we decided we would go with them, and, and Joe and Patrice were in Sri Lanka, and they wanted to be a part of this. So we all moved here, three families, and we were going to help this, this pastor start this church. But unfortunately, this pastor made some questionable decisions, and, and he's no longer in ministry, and all of the relationships ended up being broken, at least his with all of us and, and, and everything. And at the end of the day, after a year, there, there was no church. There was nothing. 
And, and to make matters worse, we had, we had given up everything to come and be a part of this. We had just built a new house and, and we loved it. It was, it was ours. It wasn't big, it wasn't fancy, but it was ours. It was exactly what we wanted it to be and it was new and, and that was awesome. But we think, ah, it's not a big deal. A house is a house, everybody's got houses, who cares? Not gonna fall in love with a house. So we, we sell our house and, and we move here and we, we, we said, you know what? We're doing what God wants. So we can take a step of faith here. And so I quit my job. And I gave up my job knowing if I come here, God's going to take care of me and he's going to give me another job. And I had an excellent resume. How many of you know what I'm about to say next? We went six months unemployed. Matter of fact, six months, the only income that, that I could get was, and, and don't laugh at me, was to deliver pizzas for Papa John's and live off of tips for about $30 a night. Y'all need to learn to tip bigger. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Because some of those are God's people trying to do good stuff and take care of their family. And life was hard. And we lost everything. We lost all of our savings. We had no money, went deeply in debt. We were facing bankruptcy. And then you say, wow, that's pretty bad. Could it get worse? It got worse. Because we'd, we'd been unable to have a child for six years and we, we finally get pregnant and are able to have a child. And then we find out that our child has a, a fatal birth defect. And that birth defect is double the rate here in South Carolina than anywhere else in the United States. And no one can explain why scientifically. Excuse me, God, you told us to come here. We're doing something good, like starting a church. We're, we're doing what you wanted us to do. And, and now we're broke and we're poor and I'm delivering pizzas with a master's degree. And we've got a child that is going to die of something double because we're here instead of somewhere else. Did you know the percentage God was where it was before we left? Anybody ever experienced any disappointment or disillusionment? What do we do? Well, we do exactly what Abraham did. So Abram left. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now, y'all just, you got to learn how to read the Bible with a sense of humor. I imagine at this point, well, thank you, honey. It's a very sweet thing of you to say as we wander through the desert here. I'm glad you just, that just kind of came across your mind. Oh, little did she know what was coming. And so when the Egyptians see you, dear, they're going to say, this is his wife. And then they're going to kill me. But they'll let you live. So, you know, I was thinking, got an idea here. Say that you're my sister. <laughs> Come on, ladies. Y'all got, are you, are, you, are you hearing this? Her husband is like, say that you're my sister. Then it may go well with me <laughs> because of you. And then my life may be spared, but, but of course, for your, it's for your sake. Don't worry, dear. This is all for you. <laughs> when Abram entered Egypt, it worked out just like he said. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, and male donkeys, and male servants, and female servants, and female donkeys, and camels. He got stuff. Pharaoh gave him lots of stuff, and all of the stuff he gets, he knows he has because he has given his wife to another man. Seriously. Wait a minute. Can we just pause where we are in the story? The God of the universe, the God of heaven, 
came down to talk to one human, only one out of the entire human population. God says, hey, you buddy, I'm gonna give you the coolest opportunity ever. Like for the rest of history, every spiritual descendant of mine, every natural descendant of mine, all of my people are gonna call you father. It's amazing. And what did he do with this opportunity? Stupid stuff. He made his biggest mistakes. The first thing he did was, was really bad leadership as a husband. Do I have any ladies who won't be like, amen with that? Really bad leadership as a husband. Hey, honey, if you don't mind, just say you're my sister. We're lying. I mean, geez, he's up to everything. Truth is, she actually was his half-sister. So he later, here's the crazy part. If you don't know the story, he does it again. This is not the only time it's going to happen. You would think somebody would learn their lesson. But anyway, another story for another day. That's why we've got a six-part series, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Here's a man who's, who's got a one-on-one -on -one with God, and yet after God calls him, after God speaks to him, after God gives him a vision for his life, he makes his biggest mistakes. After, he's utterly selfish. Well, dear... You can endure as long as I stay alive. You know, have fun over there. I've heard the food's good in the Pharaoh's house. I mean, you've only got, it's not that challenging, dear. Come on. Can y'all just imagine how that conversation went? I'm going to just assume there was some serious difficulties for the rest of their married life over this moment. And on top of that, it shows that he didn't trust God at all. I mean, here is the guy who was 75 with a barren wife, just living his life, happy as can be, got some camels, got some sheep, got some servants. And God shows up and says, I'm going to do the most amazing thing, something greater than you could ever dream. Go here, go there, do that. And Abraham does it all. And you would think he would go, huh, God's on my side. What does he do? He assumes God's not on his side. And he doesn't trust God because here's why we know he doesn't trust God because he begins to protect himself by doing something ungodly. He literally does something he knows that is, is, is wrong in order to make sure he stays alive instead of trusting God to actually show up and do something on his behalf. You want to talk about a mess? I would say this is a mess. So what happens? God steps in. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? In case any of you were wondering what really went down, it's as clear as day. Now then here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Here's the cool part. God shows up and he delivers Abraham. Truth is, I think God showed up and delivered Sarah. And Abraham just got lucky enough to be with her. You know what I'm saying? Like, you fool, giving your wife away. I'm just going to show up and deliver that girl because you're just stupid husband. I'm going to help her out, get her out of here, whatever. You can go with her kind of thing. But here's, the, here's what's so neat. Not only did God show up and set them free, but God poured out favor upon Abraham. God poured out, here's what I mean by that. When they were coming into Egypt, Abraham knew that they would kill him just to get her because she's beautiful. We've already figured that out, right? Now, he has clearly at this point shown that he's married to her and she's still beautiful. On top of the fact 
that he's married to the beautiful girl, he has lied to Pharaoh. He's lied to the king of Egypt. And on, on, in deceiving the Pharaoh and the king of Egypt, everything bad happening to Egypt is because of him. I don't know about you, but I think the likelihood of getting killed by Pharaoh is like exponential at this point, right? Are you guys with me? But God showed up in such a way on Abraham's behalf that Pharaoh not only doesn't kill him, he blesses him. Your stuff, take your stuff, take a bunch of stuff. You get to keep everything that I was giving you when I thought she was your sister and all of my army, they're gonna take care of you. Hey, all of you guys, keep your hands off of him. Matter of fact, walk them all the way to the border, escort them to the border, wave at them and bless them. God shows up. Here's what's cool. How many of you know that God is with us even when we're not with him? Even when we walk away and do some really stupid stuff, God is still showing up and blessing us and protecting us. And look, every one of us in here probably has a story, some of us two, some of us 10 stories, of when we were nowhere near what God was doing, we were not thinking about God at all, and yet God still showed up and protected us. This is why the Bible says, while we were still sinners, y'all get that? While we were sinners, when, when our face was turned the opposite direction of God, we're going that way, God's over there. We know God wants something for our life. No, 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 we're doing, we're doing something completely different. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us while we were saying, praise Jesus in church. No, and while we were sinners, while we were going the opposite direction. So what do we do when we have these unmet expectations. I want to show you some things that, two things really, two things that Abraham did that all of us do. Because here's the problem. At this point, we would like to say we're better than Abraham. Come on, anybody in here you'd like to, it's okay, you won't get judged. No lightning's going to hit. How many of you would like to say, seriously, if I had a one-on-one relationship with God, God was talking to me, God, you know, all of these amazing things, I'm pretty sure I would do better than Abraham. Anybody? Thank you for being honest, because I know everybody else is thinking it. They just are afraid to admit it. I'm going to tell you, I don't think we'd do much better than Abraham. Because what Abraham did is what every human does when life is disappointing. The first thing is this. We just do what comes naturally. We just go back to being who we always were, and we continue doing what we've always done. We just kind of give up on the vision. We stop chasing God, and we just do what comes naturally. So think about this. Why did Abraham go to Egypt? Because he was a nomadic person. Nomadic. He, he, they, they wandered around. See, you and I, when we get married, we're young, we get married, we move into an apartment, but our dream is always to do what? Own a house. We want to buy a house. White picket fence, go to Disney, all that sort of stuff. Some of you want your house on a beach. That's your issue. I can't help you there. But we're, we're, we all want that. Abraham never wanted that. There were cities. There were people who lived in houses. He didn't, and he didn't want that. He lived in a tent. His tent went wherever he went. His herds went wherever he went. That's where he spent his entire life. He was a nomadic person. And so here's the thing. For people who are nomadic, when there's no food, what do you do? You move. When there's no water, what do you do? You move. When there's an enemy you can't defeat, what do you do? You move. And so when, when things didn't work out the way that Abraham would have assumed, God says, come here, there's going to be lots of food, life's going to be great. When things didn't work out, he just did what came naturally. Here's the problem. When we do what comes naturally, we often do it without seeking God spiritually. And here's, I want to make sure we understand something. This was not necessarily a sin. We have no reason to believe that Abraham leaving and going down to Egypt was actually sinful. Because we have no conversation in the Bible where God said, don't go. But do you know what else we don't have in the Bible? 
any conversation with God at that point. Now think about this. Here's a guy 75 years old just living his life, and God shows up and speaks to him. Turn the page in the story, God shows up and speaks to him again. Go home and read it. Turn the page in the story, God's going to show up and talk to him again. I mean, he just keeps having conversations with God. Matter of fact, turn the page again. God is going to come down in human form and hang out with him in his tent. Like, this is serious. And suddenly, total silence. No food, famine, pack up, leave. Nowhere in Scripture does it say he ever asked God, should I do this? Nowhere in Scripture does God say you should. Egypt. There is total silence. He's just doing what comes naturally, not necessarily sinful. But the problem is when we do what comes naturally, we miss out on something God might want to do that we can't see with natural eyes. Share with you some scripture out of 1 Corinthians that talks about this. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Just just time out and pause right there. You know what that means? Abraham is living his life. He has never seen this beautiful land of Canaan. He has never heard a promise that it's going to be his. He's got no reason in his mind to imagine that he's going to, to be the father of people groups forever, that everybody who calls Jesus king would refer back to him. He's got no reason to imagine such things in the natural but in the spiritual realm there's a completely different destiny there because these things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything even the depths of God you see here's the thing when we become a believer in Jesus everybody when we say Jesus is our king the spirit of God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and it's supposed to change how we think because before that the only thing we can think is I'm hungry I'm thirsty I can smell this I can taste this I can touch this because we're natural it's all we've got it's the only thing that goes through our mind but then suddenly when the Holy Spirit moves in we go I can hear the voice of God and I can know to go right instead of left I normally go left going home because it's the closest way. It's the natural thing to do. But today, God says, turn right. It's the spiritual. Whoa, wait a minute. We're supposed to become not just natural who do the natural things of what we've always done. I want to share this thought with you. The more disillusioned and fearful we become, the more we must see and hear spiritually rather than react naturally. Think about that. The more disillusioned and fearful we become, the more we must see and hear spiritually rather than react naturally. The natural thing to do is to just go back to who we were, go back to what we knew, give up on the vision. So let me ask you a question. What do you think my wife and I did at that point? We'd been living here for a little over a year. Everything had fallen apart. We had lost everything. Well, we tried to do what Abraham did. We put the house up for sale. We applied for my old job back where I came from, doing something that I'm not really gifted to do. It was leading worship. And if you've ever heard me sing, you say amen to that. It's not really what God had for me. The difference is we didn't live in a tent. We had a house that actually had to be sold. We had a mortgage. We were a few months behind thanks to everything we had been through. But nonetheless, God used that to trap us Because doing what was natural for us was going back home to all of our friends, to our old job, to the way things used to be, because at least then it was okay. There was no famine in the land. And we were willing to go backwards 
because we couldn't see spiritually what we have in front of us today. We couldn't see this. We couldn't hold on for this. Abraham couldn't hold on that food might come later. You know what's really cool about everything that Abraham does is it's a foreshadowing of what's gonna come later. If you know anything about the story of God delivering his people, the Israelites, they will also go to Egypt. They will also end up in captivity like Sarah did. God will also deliver them with plagues. And here's the thing. They will also face a wandering in the desert where they're going to need food and there isn't any. But God will prove to them as he could have proven to Abraham, maybe if Abraham had just stuck around and given God a chance, that God can actually make food come right out of heaven even if there's a famine in the land. But I think the reason that Abraham did what came naturally is the second thing that we all do is, is we fear. But we, we fear because it's just logical to a human to think, well, God said, and it didn't work. So probably I missed God. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't hear God right. I thought God said, marry this person. <laughs> Don't tell me you hadn't thought that one. I thought God said, move to this city. I thought God said, do this. I thought... And we all, and we say, I guess I was wrong. And once we become afraid because things aren't working out or disappointed, I don't want you to miss the point. Again, maybe it wasn't sin, but here's something. Abraham wasn't where God told him to be. You see, if God says, go here, stand here, you can do that even if the building is falling down around you. But if God said, go there and stand there, and then you stand here and the building starts falling down, I'm running because this isn't where God told me to be. Abraham was in the enemy's land. What are you doing in the enemy's land when God said, be over here? Which brings me to my main point today, really the only thing that I wanted to talk about. So that was a great intro, wasn't it? The real point today is what do we do when we've ended up somewhere other than where God told us to be? Because we've all been there. As a matter of fact, many of us are there now. And the answer is exactly what Abraham did. Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and his nephew Lot went with him into the Negeb. Now, we learned that the Negeb was the southernmost region of the land God told him to go to. It's, it's a borderline. Have you guys ever like been on a long vacation? You're really exhausted, you're really tired and, and the plane touches down in your hometown and you know like you're there and you go, ah, home, right? Or, or, or maybe it, it's a little different. Maybe it, it's that you took a family road trip all the way to Texas with four kids in the back of the minivan and when you finally get back home and you turn onto your cul-de-sac, you know, and you got kids screaming, people are hungry, people need to use the bathroom, the whole car smells like either dirty feet or cheeseburgers or something like that. And I'm totally making this up, of course. And you turn onto your cul-de-sac and you go, here's the thing. Abraham stepped into the Negev, which is the, the border, the southernmost region. He was where God told him to be. And that wasn't enough. Isn't this cool? Watch what Abraham actually does. That wasn't enough. And he went into the Negev, and Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, which is crazy because even on a journey away from what God told him to do, God still blessed him. Because our God is good. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. 
at the beginning between Bethel and I to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You see, you might miss the significance of this. As Abram had done his first journey traveling down through the land that God had shown him, twice he set up camp and stopped and built an altar and he worshiped God. But those altars serve as more than worship. They serve as markers for something that God has done in our life. And you can imagine as Abraham, is, as he's, he's halfway through the land, the first time he builds an altar and, he, and he, he's just saying, God, like you were right. This land is beautiful. You're amazing. You're so good. I, I worship you. This altar is a, a symbol of who you are and your goodness to me. But these, these also serve as markers because this is where Abraham has now come back to. He's come back to the second one that he made. And the reason that's significant is because it wasn't good enough just to get back in the land. Abraham had to get back to the last place that he knew God was with him. Think about that. I talked last week of in some of the services, I didn't, didn't do it in all of them, about the importance of setting those markers, those places of worship, of saying, God, you're just so good. You can, you, everyone in here I know can have, something's coming to mind, you're remembering it. You, you can remember what the, the weather was, where you were standing, what, what the day looked like, what the paint on the wall was, when God did something that you just didn't think would happen. Maybe you thought that you were going to get some really bad news for the doc, from the doctor and, and the doctor called and said, oh, all the tests were negative. You're perfectly fine. And you were, you were afraid of something serious. And at that moment, right now, you can remember standing in that room and just going, oh, God, you were good. Maybe it was where you were when you found out that the bankruptcy wasn't going to be a bankruptcy and God was, he just did something. Or maybe you, you thought something happened to one of your children and now your child just runs into the room and they're safe. And you, you know what I'm talking about? Those places where you can just, you can physically remember and just go, wow. But it's more than a place of worship. It's a marker that you can get back to where you can remember. This is the last time that I, I felt like I was with God. It's the last time that I feel like God was with me. If you come into my office on my bookshelf, I've got all of these little strange knickknacks and, and they're weird, but they all have significance. And many of them, they're there because they're markers. I've got a rock with a question mark on it. I've got a spoon that was carved out of a, a special wood from an Indian chief in Brazil that he gave to me to remember him and his people as I was there one time. And for the military guys, I've actually got a commander's coin that was given to me. He told me it was the only one he'd ever given a civilian simply because of the, the, the walk that he was having at the time and, and what he was going through and some things that I helped him through as a pastor, but he's not walking with God so well at the moment. So I keep it on my shelf to remember to pray for him to come back to his marker. And I've got a little wooden cup that's about that big that I, I use to take communion at the tomb of Jesus. We take communion every week and communion is very cool, but sometimes things just feel different. When you're looking at the hole in the cave that Jesus' body was laid in, there's something about doing communion right there and something special 
and his presence was there that day. And that little marker of what I had with God stays on my shelf, and, and there are others. So the point today, his whole message was here to say one thing. You can go back to the last place you knew God was with you because God is there. Truth is God's been with you every step of the journey and God is saying, just just come on back. I'm here. I don't know what your marker is. I don't know if you need to go through and read your journal. You know, guys were like, I'm not emotional. I don't like to think and have thoughts and feelings, much less write them down. So some of you don't journal, but we need to journal, not diary, we need to journal because we're really bad at remembering what we used to think and feel. And the only thing we do worse than that is remember how good God was. And we need to go back in our journal and go, wow, I was really upset a year ago and really struggling with it. And look what God did. And we need to have those markers. Maybe your marker is like something I have on a bookshelf. Maybe it's on a mantle at home. Maybe it's in your office. There's something that will remind you that God is with you, that God has called you that God has a good plan for your life. And even though you have gone somewhere other than where God said to go, you can come back. And you can step back into the plan that God has for you. You can get back to that place. That's what God wants to say today. So I'm gonna close by praying for a group of you. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand because I don't wanna embarrass you and I don't wanna keep anyone from embracing the prayer that I wanna pray for you by not raising a hand. But I'm gonna pray for anyone here who feels like you have ended up somewhere other than where God told you to be. Now this doesn't mean that you've walked away from your Christian faith automatically, sometimes people have. But it might be just like Abraham. We've got no reason to believe Abraham stopped believing in God. He just simply started doing his own thing. What came naturally, his own way with a few really bad decisions mixed in. And he just found himself somewhere other than where God told him to be. Today, you can go back. For you, maybe going back is is here at church. You know, one of the best things that I love about my job is I get to see people go back to God simply by coming back to church. You you think, what's the significance of that? Why, Why church? Why do they have to go to church? Simply because church was the last time they felt like God loved them. It was the last time they could walk into a room and feel like his presence was there. And it's been so exciting. We've actually seen 93 people make Jesus their king here at Grace Life this year. Come on, let's celebrate that. Isn't that amazing? Most of those people are people who are coming back to the last place that they knew God was with them. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm gonna pray you'll find it. And I'm gonna pray you'll come back. Amen, let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you that you love every one of us, even when we've walked away from where you told us to be, even when we found ourselves in a place that is not what you intended for us, that you are with us even when we're not with you. I thank you that your grace is not just there to get us into heaven, but it is to bring us back to you and to keep us with you every single day of our lives. We don't just end up saved by grace. We live by grace. It is you loving us because you are a God of love, not because of anything we've done. And right now, God, I pray for every person in the room 
that feels that they're too far off the path, too far separated from you. I pray that they'll know you are right there beside them. All they've got to do is turn around and embrace. I pray against the lies and accusation of the enemy because once we begin to run to you, the only thing he's got left is to tell us that you'll judge us and that you don't want us and that we're too bad to come back. And we know those are lies, so right now I pray for anybody who's hearing that from the enemy to reject that and to know the truth is, while we were far from you, you sent your son to die for us and you want us to turn around and to come back to the place where we are with you right now. If we could just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. It may be for a very same reason, maybe You've heard before that Jesus died and rose again. Maybe you grew up going to church, but you weren't ready to deal with that. And maybe right now is the time for you to come back to that truth and to deal with that. I'd like to help you begin a conversation with God. If you've never made Jesus your king, will you say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I wanna live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you have forgiven me. I thank you for your mercy in my life. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom and fill me with your spirit. Amen. Everybody, amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.